know, when we get to that part where they're raising their hands like this at that song, I always want to do this, but I think, no, I better not do that because it may seem a little overt, but I'm going to do that anyway. Uh, He's worthy, and uh, oh, God is so good, so good. Well, welcome. Uh, I'm glad you folks are here, and uh, I do want to highlight, if you will, quote unquote, the cross. Um, There was a cross that was up there before we did the painting, and we took down some of the uh, architectural stuff, and so the goal was always to put the cross back. And so this week, some folks got together, put their their heads together, got it put up there, and uh, highlighted the way that I asked them to. And so I'm just really grateful because the statement, the goal, the mission of our church to live and to love like Jesus and to help others to do the same is incomplete without the realization of the cross in the midst of all of this. Because not only does the cross give us forgiveness and and the ability to even know God, to become like Jesus, but the cross also stands as an example of what it means to live and love like Jesus. You know, there are good parts of living and loving like Jesus, accepting people and enjoying things and doing good things, but sometimes it calls for sacrifice. And that's a reminder to us. So as you look at the statement now, I feel like for the first time it's almost complete. It takes the cross to know Jesus, and it takes the cross as an example of what it means to live and love like Jesus. You know, it's very fortunate, and it really wasn't planned this way, that this happens to fall on today, because today we are continuing our journey in the book of Galatians together, and we are in Galatians chapter 6 today. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to get to Galatians chapter 6, which is the final chapter, by the way, of the book of Galatians. And so we only have a couple, three more messages, and we will be done with this uh, book and the study of it. Uh, But today, in a very real way, as we move into this very practical component of the book, uh, today we're going to talk about the nitty, the gritty, the dirt under your fingernails type of Christianity. Today we're going to talk about living out what Paul calls bearing one another's burdens so that we might fulfill the law of Christ. Now, up till now, the Apostle Paul has said, we're not under the law, we're not under the law, we're not under the law of Moses. But we are under the law or the command of Christ. And the command of Christ is simply this. Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. So the law that Paul is talking about here, the law that is fulfilled in bearing one another's burdens is the law of love. That's the law of Christ. The law of love fulfills everything the Older Testament law sought to do, but never could. But in Christ, by God's grace, by the power of his Holy Spirit, we can fulfill the law of love. So today, we're going to kind of dive into chapter 6 and look at verses 1 through 5 together. So if you don't have your Bibles, go there in your Bibles as we look at this together. But while you're turning there, I just want to share with you a story I came across this week that I think kind of captures what Paul is talking about, and I think it will help us to get to where we're going. Uh, There's a wonderful man of God by the name of Dr. Reuben Welsh, and uh, he wrote a book called We Really Do Need Each Other. A call to community in the church. Now, this illustration or this true story comes from that book. It goes like this. Uh, Dr. Rubin uh, was a chaplain at Point Loma Nazarene University. 
and he was the New Testament professor there as well. Occasionally, he would teach a summer school course entitled Group and Interpersonal Relations. At the close of this course every year, it was the tradition of this class to take a hike together, a three-mile hike up the side of a mountain to a beautiful lookout called Henninger, Fe Henninger Flats. In fact, here is an actual picture from that area. And so they would take this hike up there every single year, and it was the final, if you will, gathering or activity of the class. And so he writes, uh, as usual, uh, the trip began just as, as usual. They packed water, they packed their food, they packed their snacks, and they began their journey. He says, but what happened always happens. Soon after the group begins to uh, go up this, this way, they quickly divide into those who are more adept, strong, and conditioned, and those who aren't. Bambi and I took a hike just a few weeks ago in, in New Hampshire. It was only a mile hike up a mountain. I realized how the knot really works. Uh, I wasn't ready for the hike. It was too steep for me, and we barely made it, but we, we made it. Um, so they take this hike. And uh, this year was a particularly distinct uh, divide between those who are conditioned and those who were not. You see, the leader of the pack was a man by the name of Don, a former paratrooper. And bringing up the rear that year was a woman by the name of Jane. As Don would look around at the switchbacks, he could not help but notice that Jane was consistently falling further and further down the trail. Now, the way you get here is indeed there are these switchbacks. You have to go back and forth and back and forth up this steep mountain to get to the height. So every time they would round a bend, he would look back, and Jane was falling further and further behind. Eventually, Don, the leader of the pack, uh, sensed in his spirit that he should leave the front of the pack and walk back and help Jane. So he did that. And as they were now making their way up the mountain together, Jane was walking slower and slower, and she said to Don, I just don't think I can make it. Uh, the class that was ahead of them would yell back down the trail to them saying, come on, you can do it. It's beautiful. The view is worth it. You can do it. All these encouraging words. But Don was the one who walked alongside Jane, but Jane never made it to the top. You see, the team got there, they had their lunch, and they began back down, and they met Don and Jane still coming up, and so they all turned and went down the mountain together. As they made uh, their way along, and they came to the end of it, uh, they said their goodbyes to everyone. The class was now over, but Don would not let it go. The class ended in a failure. They had not, as a group, learned to implement the principles of body life and interpersonal relationships. The class was a failure in his mind. So what he did was he called all the classmates to a person, and they agreed that the class's final achievement was anything but a stellar example of relational support. So what they decided to do was set a new date. And so they did. They packed their lunch, they packed their water, they prepared themselves, they met early, and they began. And they went up again to Henninger Flats. Soon, the strong in the weak became clear again, but this time, they chose to stay together. They stopped more, they talked more, they ate their lunch before they ever got to the top, but all of them made it to the top, even Jane. It eventually took twice as long as normal, but the group did more uh, than simply yell back encouraging words. This time, they actually helped each other in the journey. 
there was a sense of satisfaction and success for all. Jane, too, got to see the beautiful view from the top of the mountain. And I like that story because in a very real way, the church, and I don't mean the building, what an what a, what a unfortunate word the church is when it becomes a building. The church is us. The church is people. The church is those who choose to gather together in the name of Jesus to exalt the Lord and to walk this path in community together. So in a very real way, we are a community of God's people, brothers and sisters, children of God, who are journeying on this journey through life designed by God to make us like our older brother, Jesus. And we glorify the Father by sharing his love with one another. And God uses this community project to transform our lives. Little by little, step by step, we walk in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit along a very narrow road. Sometimes it's a traipse through the park. It's sunshine and roses and woohoo, this is great. Other times it's a very steep path over very treacherous rocks. The point is this. We're supposed to do it together. We're supposed to go together. It's not just the strong ones and the smart ones, but it's all of us together going to the heights of Christ-likeness together. That, dear ones, is what Paul is putting his emphasis on today as he talks about bearing one another's burdens. So today, we're going to hone in on this last section, the very practical section, and we're going to talk about the truth that we have been set free in Christ to ultimately fulfill the law of Christ. And Paul says this. Allow me to lead, read it, and then we will have a word of prayer. Brothers, general word, brothers, sisters, fellow believers in Jesus Christ, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you, y'all, it's a plural, y'all, who are spiritual, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verses 1 and 2 are a distinct unit. Verses 3 through 5 are connected but different. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Curious words. We'll talk about what they mean in just a minute. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will bear his own load. So there's two kind of distinct thoughts here that are connected. The first one is simply this. There are some burdens that we are called to share in this thing called the Christian life, in this journey towards Christ-likeness. And then there are also some... Whoop, 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 whoop. Don't do that. There are some burdens... Baggage. No, 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 no. For as long as no, we've no, had no. stuff, we found ways to bring it along. Baggage started off big. But it got Watch smaller. It. Portable. Now one person can Go carry more it. than ever. Important stuff like clothes, toiletries. Just go ahead and squash it and reopen it. I'm going to pray and then we'll go with it. I seem to have so much trouble. We're done with this whole Prezi thing after this series. I just want you to know that I'm going back to PowerPoint. I can, I can manage it better for some reason. Let's take a second and pray together. Father, um, we're, we're trotting on very important territory today. 
uh, and it's where most of us live. Um, the goal would be that we would be like your son, Jesus. While you accept us just the way we are, and you love us just the way we are, you love us too much to leave us that way. You want to make us just like Jesus. Not just me, but all of us. You want to use us together to take on that image of Christ and to become like him. And so, Father God, I just pray as we consider the words of Paul here in Galatians 6 today, that you would speak and speak clearly to each of our hearts because we have a part to play in all of this. Please, Father, in the worthy name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll see what happens. I'm going to forward through some of this. Okay, move beyond. Go here. Okay, go here. We've been there. Hey, all these flashbacks, I take it. And free. Okay, here we go. Let's get here and do this and do this. Okay. We're good. From here, we will go. I want to kind of unpack this, this first uh, section, verses 1 and 2, as we talk about the burdens that we must share with one another. So I'm going to kind of take this, these verses and kind of lay out for you uh, exactly the meaning in the original language, because I think it gives us a lot more uh, information to really apply it. Uh, he begins with the word brothers. Uh, again, this is a general word referring to brothers and sisters, those who compose the family of God. He says, if anyone is caught in a transgression, the word if anyone is a general term. He's not thinking about anyone specifically, but he's kind of leaving this open-ended to, to include really anyone who is a follower of Christ. A, a, an older follower, a younger follower, a new follower, an aged follower. It doesn't matter. He says if anyone, if anyone is involved in any kind of transgression. Now the word transgression here literally means to, to make a, a misstep. To, to somehow slip or to fall aside. It's an interesting word that Paul likes to use concerning this thing called sin. In Romans chapter 5, Paul uses exactly the same term, the same word, but he makes it a reference to what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden when they disobeyed God. When Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord, this is often referred to as the fall. Yes, it's referred to the fall into sin. It's the word transgression. It has the idea of a misstep, a misdeed, to fall, to fail. And so what he is saying is this, as we the people of God are journeying together down the narrow road, and we're walking towards Christ's likeness in the power of the Holy Spirit. He just talked about the Holy Spirit in the preceding section. So as we're walking in the Spirit, what can happen is any one of us, any one of us can misstep, can, can, can twist an ankle spiritually and fall by the wayside spiritually. He can fall into a sin is what he's talking about. And the word here that he says is caught. The word caught has the idea of something that's sudden, something that was unexpected, something that just happened. It doesn't really mean a, a willful, premeditated, uh, well-thought-through sin. It's rather referring to the kind of things that dog our lives. Certain personality challenges, certain proclivities that happen to burden us, certain sins that, that tend to, to persist in our lives. As we're walking the path together, any one of us 
could slip, could fall, and, and land by the wayside. So what do these sins look like? What could they be? What is he referring to? I think this kind of captures what he's talking about. This is the right place for this. Baggage. For as long as we've had stuff, we found ways to bring it along. Baggage started off big, but it got smaller, portable. Now one person can carry more than ever. Important stuff like clothes, toiletries, fancy little dogs, you know, necessities. But what's amazing is how much stuff we drag around that we don't need and don't like. Things that trip us up, wear us out, and box us in. Stuff like anger. What is wrong with you? Addiction, overeating, and overspending. It was amazing. They had such great sales. I couldn't believe it. We carry around past relationships. I don't know what I ever saw in you. I didn't even dress well. Gosh. Worry, unforgiveness, and selfishness. I think that's a great idea, don't you? I love it. It makes us ask questions like, why did I do that? Or, how did I get here? And what is wrong with me? Because this stuff is heavy. It's bulky. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It makes everything in life harder, especially relationships. You might not know where it came from or how you got it, but there's only one way to deal with baggage. Throw it down. Drop it. Just let go. Sounds easy, but it's not. You carry something long enough, it feels like a part of you. You walk away, but a minute later, it's back in your hand. Baggage tricky like that. You gotta keep dropping, keep throwing, keep letting go, so you can take hold of something better. God's best for your life. And for that, you're gonna need both hands. We run fastest, love fullest, and live lightest when we let go of the baggage. This is what Paul's talking about. There are things in all of our lives that are, are things that we say, oh my gosh, there I go again. There, there it is again. Why does it keep propping up in my life? Uh, things like old hurts that we just can't seem to get over or get by or some kind of a hang-up that we have that just never seems to get properly dealt with or some kind of habit. It is a piece of baggage from our past that causes us to trip up and to fall and sometimes it's really, really hard to get back up again. That's what he's talking about here. So again, let me kind of put this in context. Paul has just finished talking about walking in the power of the Spirit, no longer fulfilling the, the lusts of the flesh. And so as the people of God, we're walking along, we're journeying towards Christ-likeness down the narrow road. And as we go forward, any one of us, any one of us could suddenly be overtaken again by one of our, our things in the flesh, one of the things that draw us back, and we can fall, and it's hard to get up. It's hard to get going again. It's hard to keep moving forward. And so what Paul says is, this is a reality. This is something that's very true. 
Well, Paul, what are we supposed to do about it? Notice what he says. You. You. It's plural. It refers to all of us. You who are, what's the word? Oh, you're like, oh, he obviously he's not talking about me, right? You know, I, I love Jesus, and, and, and I, I like to think I try to honor him with my life, but I'm no super saint. Obviously, those who are spiritual who are supposed to do this kind of ministry of helping people, obviously he's talking about the pastors, right? Right? Obviously it's the pastors. They're spiritual people. Uh, maybe the elders of the church, you know, those who are a little older in the faith and have walked the journey a long time and seen all the pitfalls, you know, obviously he's talking about them. And while the word can refer to and should refer to your pastors and should refer to those who are well-seasoned in the faith, that's not what the word means. The word spiritual actually refers to any believer, any follower of Christ who is simply walking in the Spirit. I like what John MacArthur, a wonderful exegete of the word, he says this about this word. He says, at any point in the Christian life, from the moment of his or her salvation to their glorification, they are either spiritual, walking in the Spirit, or fleshly, walking in the deeds of the flesh. Maturity is merely the cumulative effect of times of spirituality. But any believer at any point in his or her growth towards Christ-likeness can be a spiritual believer who helps others who have fallen into the sins of the flesh. And so while it would be nice to be able to say, obviously he's not talking to me here, the reality is, yeah, he is saying this is a responsibility of all of us, journeyers in Jesus, those who are walking together by faith in the power of the Spirit towards Christ's likeness. Our responsibility is to see those who have fallen by the wayside. And what are we to do? It says that we are to then restore them, to restore them. And now again, the word here is a powerful word in light of what we've been talking about. The word restore has the idea to mend or repair, uh, mend or repair something. It is used of setting a broken bone. Now think about this. Again, it makes perfect sense in the context of walking in the Spirit. Suddenly a brother or sister, any of us, any of us, is suddenly suddenly overtaken by some besetting sin or some kind of uh, thing that keeps us from going on and we wind up with a spiritual broken leg. We're laying off to the side and we're un unable to get back up. And it is incumbent now on the children of God, those fellow brothers and sisters, to go to them and to reach out to them and to come alongside them in a spirit of, what's the word? gentleness. Have you ever had a broken bone? When you went to get the bone set, whether it was an arm or a leg, did the doctor go like this? <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, you know, 
know, you'd, you'd be screaming your head off and, and filing a lawsuit. You just don't set a broken bone like that. That's not how you do it. You do it so you don't cause any more pain, but you align the bones so that ultimately it can heal together and be stronger than ever. And that's what Paul is saying here. We don't come alongside people and just chastise them. We don't come alongside people and just say, what are you doing? Get up and run. I can't. We come along in a spirit of gentleness and we help them to set the broken bone that has been caused by sin in their life and we help them to ultimately be able to walk again in the faith and then they can start to run again with us so the imagery here is beautiful meant to walk in the spirit not fulfill the lusts of the flesh that we might go on to to christian maturity to look like Jesus. But what Paul is saying is so important. The spiritual life and the ability to do it successfully, it's not a lone ranger project. It's a community project. It's ultimately incumbent upon us to help one another to get where God wants us to be. That's the point. That's the goal, that we would all get there together. There's an illustration in the Bible that I think does a pretty good job of talking about what does that mean? How do I go there? What could it cost me? And it's actually a story about Jesus healing a paralytic. So let me kind of shoot up here. Um, this story is actually found in three of the four Gospels. Uh, Mark 2 is the longer one. That's the one we'll look at. It's also found in Luke 5 and in Matthew 9. Uh, Jesus heals a paralytic. In the Bible, a paralytic is anyone who cannot walk. Uh, the word does not mean necessarily paralyzed, but it does mean that they're incapable of getting around on their own. And so let me show you what some people do to help somebody, and I think there's some things there that we can gain and learn from this. So in Mark chapter 2 and verse 1, it says this, And when he, Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days. Capernaum literally means Capernaum. It is the city of Nahum. It's at the top of the Sea of Galilee, and it was kind of where his headquarters was when he was in the area of Galilee. So Jesus returns to Capernaum after some days, and it was reported, the word went out, that Jesus was at home. Jesus is in the house. And everybody heard it. Oh, my gosh. He does miracles. He does all these awesome things. So Jesus is in the house in Capernaum, and it says this, and many people began to gather there, so many that there was no longer any room in the house, and even at the door, and Jesus was preaching the word to them. So word had gone out. Jesus is handy. Everybody went. Now we're introduced to some interesting people. Uh, it goes on to say this. It says, and then they, they came. These, these individuals, and they brought him a paralytic. This is a person who cannot walk. They brought him, and he was being carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, Jesus, because of the crowd, it goes on to say this, that they then removed the roof above him. And when they had made enough of an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was laying. And it says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. 
there's a very good chance that his inability to walk was connected to sinful activity in his life. We don't know, but that's an opportunity there that could mean that. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were questioning within, within themselves. And Jesus said, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus said to the paralytic, he got right into his face. He said, I say to you, rise. Pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately he picked up his bed. He went out before all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, who has ever seen anything like this? So we have this beautiful story about some people who are burden-bearing, burden-bearing. So let me go back uh, just real quick here, and uh, we'll kind of pick up the story, and I just want to throw a few thoughts here. These guys are a perfect example of what it means to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. They are literally carrying a friend in need. You know, when we talk about these things, I, I think this is a good image to get in mind. You know, to get him onto this litter or whatever the thing is that they're carrying him on. And each person had to kind of take a part of the weight of what was this man's weight, body weight. And they literally had to carry him. There's, there's, there's work involved here. This is not easy. This is hard. And so they're carrying this man forward. And I can well imagine the guy in front of him is kicking up a little dirt, and the guy back here is kind of, <coughs> come on, man, this is heavy, this is hard, let's get him going. And they get there, and the door is filled with people, and they're spilling out of the house. I can well imagine one of them turned to the other going, you know, listen, th th this isn't going to work. We can't even get in the door. There's no way we can do this. Let's just forget it. Let's just forget it. And somebody else on the other side, no, 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 we come this far. We're not going to get away from Jesus without this guy getting healed. And so they're kind of wrestling and they're talking. No, we'll do whatever it takes to get him there. Other people in your lives that you would do whatever it takes to help them, are there? I hope so. I hope you have people in your world that you just couldn't imagine not having in your world and you would do anything for them. That's really how it's meant to be in the house of God. We're really meant to have the kind of connectivity and the kind of concern for one another that we would do whatever it takes for each other to get us where we need to be. And so these guys are burden-bearing. They're doing whatever it takes to get their friend to the one that can really help them, uh, him, Jesus. And so one of them finally gets this smart idea. Hey, guys. I got an idea. Let's go up on the roof. Let's go up on the roof and let's knock a hole in the roof. How many think that's a good idea? You know, I can well imagine the other guy going, what? What are you even talking about? Did you, like, bring a saw? Did you, like, bring a, a hammer? And so You brought a saw? Really? <laughs> yeah, you just never know. I'm going to be prepared. You're probably a Boy Scout or something. You know, so they go up under the rooftop, which was flat, and right over where Jesus would have been in the house, they start smashing through the roof and they start smashing through all this uh, adobe brick and pulling it off and they start cutting through the beams and I can see Jesus standing down there's all this stuff is trickling down on him what's going on the point
point is this. They were going to do whatever it took. It didn't matter to them what this was going to be like, how much effort it was going to take. They got very creative in getting him to Christ. You know what? Somebody had to pay for the roof. I mean, you don't just bust a hole in somebody's roof and walk away. So, so they were going to have to bear the cost of ripping somebody's roof off. You know, so, I mean, this is, this is not easy. This is a huge expense and a huge amount of effort. But they did whatever it took. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What does this mean, Pastor Bill? What's it going to cost me? I don't know. What might it cost you? It could be pretty high. But you know what I think really helps us to understand the worth of it all? Is that these guys had the conviction, no matter what, that ultimately this guy, Jesus, that ultimately this guy, Jesus, if they could just get their friend to this guy, Jesus, that somehow, some way, he was going to touch and change his life. Are there people in your life, are there former fellow journeyers of Jesus that we know if we could just get them to Jesus, he would touch and change their life? I think this is the key. I really do. You know, we've talked a lot about the grace of God, how God comes alongside us in our sin, in our lostness, and in our depravity, and he gives us his wonderful gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Jesus, and we did nothing to earn it. And when you, when you really get in touch with the grace of God and understand what he has done, you, you are so dramatically changed. Grace changes everything. That you begin to understand that what my friend needs... They need the same thing I found, Jesus. If I could just get them to Jesus, that would change everything for them. And so we have this display of these men who are willing to go to huge lengths to try and get their friend healed, to try and get their friend well again. Again, is there anyone in your life that you would love to see healed? Is there anyone in your life you'd love to see well again? Can I just say the key is to get them to Jesus. That's the key. He's the one who changes lives. He's the one who transforms people. But it might cost us something to do that. So these guys, I think, are really a perfect example of what Paul was talking about, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the the law of Christ. I want to give you a couple of opportunities to kind of uh, bring your friends to, to connect them maybe back into the fellowship of believers if they've wandered away, or maybe they've just never really seen any value in Jesus or the church or grace, or they don't understand all that stuff. But let me just give you a couple of opportunities that are in front of us that you can actually get your friends to, get your friends connected to Jesus through. One is, and we've been talking about it for a little bit, and every time you walk in those doors, you see that sign sitting right there. One is, is this thing here called Back to Church Sunday, September the 20th. We, we've got a, we had a prayer meeting yesterday designed specifically to pray for that day and the people that will come to that day. Our goal is to bathe this time in prayer, to prepare well, and to create an environment where people can connect 
and see the beauty of biblical community and see the beauty of love and people sacrificing and the beauty of God's word and his grace. So I want to encourage you to consider doing that. You know, I was so pleased the other day. We held our evening, August the 9th, uh, where we got you to come out to the 12A meeting. How many came out to that night? How many came out to that night? Awesome, awesome. During that night, we asked you to make various uh, commitments. One of the commitments we asked you to make was to uh, be able to go to your neighbors and maybe just put this on their doorknob and just a simple invitation to come to Back to Church Sunday. And uh, when we got uh, in the office the next day and added up and totaled up all of these requests, we ordered 1,500 of these for you folks to hand out. Thank you. Can you give yourselves a hand? Yeah, you see, we're, we're creating space. We're making opportunities to connect those who need the Lord or who have fallen away from the Lord back to Jesus where their lives can be changed, where their lives can be transformed. We also gave you the opportunity to put out these uh, little invitations, personal invitations. Since there's no place to hang it on a doorknob and run away, uh, you actually have to hand these to people. And, and so... Uh, 740 of these were requested. So they have been ordered. All of these will be in tomorrow, and we will produce them this week so that you can have them to use to connect your friends and loved ones to Back to Church Sunday. Thank you. This is an opportunity to bear our friends' burdens and bring them to Jesus where they can ultimately have those burdens relieved by the grace and power of God. So that's an opportunity. And then we're also going to be uh, connecting over into this thing called Loving Generously. This is going to be our five-week series beyond uh, September the 20th. Um, from the 27th through, uh, I believe it's October the 25th, those five Sundays, we're going to be doing this study together. And there's a small group component to this, and many of you are now going to the small group's uh, training session after this uh, service down there in the fireside room. Uh, but the goal would be on Back to Church Sunday that not only do we welcome people and let them feel a part of what's going on, but we actually invite them for a five-week journey in biblical community to see what it's like so they can begin to journey with us and maybe stick and grow towards Christ and Christ-likeness. So there's uh, what's going on there. Also, uh, for the ladies, you have a very special opportunity coming your way that is specifically designed for, for some women who are really struggling in life, not making sense of things in life, and really don't know how to handle some things in life, we have a very special uh, session called Life's Healing Choices that will be offered, I believe, uh, opposite or during this hour on September the 27th. It's an eight-week course that will walk the ladies through how to handle various hurts, hang-ups, and habits that have plagued their lives. And so, ladies, if you're looking for an opportunity to grab the hand of somebody in need and get them to Jesus, this class will be a great opportunity for that. You see, that's what it means to bear one another's burdens. It means that we do whatever it takes to help people get to Jesus and to find the healing that, that he alone can ultimately give them. And so Paul kind of ends this by saying this, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, burden-bearing is a burden that you're bearing. Burden-bearing is hard work. It might cause calluses on your hands or on your heart. I don't know. It's, it's work. It's hard work. 
It's difficult. It's hard. So Paul kind of ends this admonition by saying this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word bear is a command. You see, he's saying this is not optional. This is not a good idea if you think it's a good idea. This is not something great for somebody else to do. He's basically saying we're obligated. As the people of God with one another, we're obligated for one another. We are our brother's keeper. That's what he's saying here. He's saying this, this is not optional. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And again, Jesus made it very plain. This is my command, Jesus said to his followers. John 15 and verse 12. This is my command, that you love one another just as I have loved you. It's a command. And so there's many reasons why I think we should, should burden bear. I, I think we should do it because we love people and we care about them. That's right. That's good. Yes. I, I think we should do it because it's the right thing to do. Yes. But ultimately, we are obligated to do this. We are obligated to do this. And that brings us into this next section. This is the connecting point uh, to, the, to the burden that each of us must bear. He goes on to say in verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now let's, let's just be fair here. The logical relationship between verse 3 and verse 2 is a bit elusive. It's not exactly clear how they relate to each other. But the little word for, the beginning of verse 3, means that it's an extension of thought in the Apostle Paul's mind when it comes to this idea of, of fulfilling the law of Christ or bearing the burdens of those who have fallen and need our help. Basically, what he is saying is it refers to those who say, I don't want to do it. I really don't want to help. I'm not really interested in helping other people in their struggles. I'm not really interested in being involved in things. My life is already full. But he's basically saying those people who would rather choose their lives in isolation from the rest of the family of God or those who prefer splendid piety, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, and yet don't want to get involved, there's a problem. There's a problem. And he's basically saying this, if you feel that way, then you're guilty of pride is what he is saying. He says, thinking that you are something. Jesus and I, we're good. I love Jesus. How many love Jesus? Only that many? Come on, let's try that one more time. How many love Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we would all say we love the Lord. I would hope you would say that. He loves you. He gave himself for you. So the natural correlation is we love him. But the realization is if we really love him, then we have to love others who know him too, and even those who don't. The overflow of true faith is its outworking in love, self-sacrificing love. So Paul is basically saying this. If we think we are something spiritually mature, biblically literate, theologically sound, I love Jesus, what we really are is nothing if we're not reaching out and helping others. We're nothing in God's eyes, and we are really self deceived is what he is saying. First uh, John chapter 4 verses 20 and 21 say this. If someone says, I love God, say, I love God. I love God. I love God. I do. And yet he hates his brother. Now the word hate can be really strong or it can mean indifferent to or not willing to help. 
a brother or sister, that person's a liar. Oh, really? That's kind of strong, isn't it, John? For if we do not love people we can see, how can we love God whom we've not seen? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters. Notice, must. It's not optional. It's commanded. It is the reality. And so Paul says it. Jesus says it. John says it. There must be something to it. Because everybody's putting the same emphasis on this idea that faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, is never alone. It ultimately touches the lives of those around us, if it's genuine, real faith. Galatians 5 and verse 6, For in Christ the only thing that matters is faith working through love. And so this is his emphasis here. He's kind of saying, listen, you cannot not obey the command of God and think you're okay. Verse 4, he goes on to say, But let each one test his own work. For we must each examine our own lives as to the reality of our faith. Is it all about myself and keeping to myself? Or am I truly going beyond myself to see and meet the needs of others? If I am, if I'm reaching out in love in Jesus' name, then there is reason for confidence when I stand before God. And then, uh, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. In other words, I'm not trusting in what somebody else has done or what somebody else is not doing, but I'm doing it myself. For each one will bear his own load. Let me give you an explanation that I think summarizes it well. Uh, Thomas Schreiner uh, has a wonderful commentary in the book of Galatians. He put it like this. Paul's emphasis in this paragraph then is that believers are to support and help one another with the burdens and cares of life at the same time we must recognize that we will stand alone before God on the day of judgment that we will not be judged in relation to what others have done or not done but we ourselves based upon what we have done for the sake of others it is the righteousness of Christ that saves me but I will be judged based on my works for reward. And he's saying that day when it comes, no ifs, ands, or buts, no, ex no excuses. What part of you must bear one another's burdens did you not get? What part of, uh, according to John's statement, those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters did you not get? What part of this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you did not get? Yeah, but, 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 no buts. This is you and me, the Lord and I. How did you do this? Paul was putting a bit of heavy on them because I think there were people in the fellowship that were falling to the wayside, and they weren't helping. They weren't reaching out in love. The day is coming where we will each be held responsible for our own actions or inactions in relationship to the command of Jesus Christ. The command to self-sacrificially love and help others on this long and very difficult journey toward Christ-likeness. I began with this story by uh, Dr. Reuben Welsh about the group in interpersonal relationships. 
at the end of his book, he wrote this little poem, and I think it's a good way for us to kind of end today. He said this, you know something? We're all just people who need each other. We're all learning. We've all got a long journey ahead of us. We've got to go together. And if it takes until Jesus comes, we'd better stay together. We'd better help each other. And I dare say that by the time we get there, all the sandwiches, all the sandwiches will be gone. Bummer. That all the water will be gone. And that all the backpacks will be empty. But no matter how long it takes, we've got to go together. Because that's how it is in the body of Christ. It's all of us in love, in care, in support, in mutuality. You know something? We really do need each other. There are 36 distinct commands, one another's. 36 distinct one another commands. A third of them have to do with unity. God's big on unity. Another third of them have to do with self-sacrificing love toward one another. 15% of them have to do with humility. And then there's various and sundry other ones, including four kissing one another, but we won't go there. One another, 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 thirty-six. Why so many? Because we really need each other. The Christian life is not a singular project that we take upon ourselves. It is a community project where we all go there together by God's grace. Who is there in your mind right now that's fallen by the wayside? Who is there in your mind right now that's gotten off track? They're no longer connected to a local group of people journeying towards Christ-likeness together. Who is that? God's saying, you need to go to them, grab them, help them, love them gentleness restore them what burden are you carrying today that makes you want to give up on your faith that makes you want to walk away from this whole Jesus thing you're not meant to bear that burden alone we're here to help we're here to come alongside you to walk with you and to get you where God wants you to be that's our goal to live and to love like Jesus but let's not forget the rest of that and to help others to do 